Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon, the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. Well, we all heard about internal selling in terms of products. I'm going to talk about everything. How do you externally sell your products and why growth marketing should be embedded within the product itself? So let's take an example. As a product manager, I always dream to build products which revolutionize the industry I'm working in. I'm sure you guys do. Um, but one question which, is, which I've been battled with over the years is, why do products fail? Why, especially tech products, why do they have life cycle where you see a massive growth, um, then they, stagnate, they basically stagnate and then they fall? Um, Friendster, for example, MySpace, they were really good products when they started. They grew really well. Uh, but then a disruptor comes in the market, and the growth marketing fails, and you don't sustain the number of subscribers or the users you want onto your product. So what is, what is the key uh, element of the success where you build that growth marketing for your product? And how do you embed that growth marketing that even if the disruptor comes in the market, your product can sustain and have that positive impact on the users? And that's what I'm fascinated about. If you go back to the 80s, um, there were not a lot of tech products which talked about marketing in those days. And it was everything about field sales. And I think Oracle did it really well. They, they went on the road, and they basically explained what their products do. But it was a very high bandwidth and a high cost affair. They tried to explain, hey, this is what our product does. Um, and this is purely field sales. And then what we saw after that was something different. We started seeing inside sale in the early 2000s, where Salesforce did, it, Salesforce did it really well. They started cold calling. They started creating prospects. And the whole idea was that the more prospects you create, uh, the more the chances are that some of those prospects would convert. And then it came to marketing, where uh, people understood that you've got to take a step back and strategically think, how do you fill that sales funnel based on the brand values you create, based on the content you have on your product? And eventually, it's all about product-driven marketing, where um, in the recent day and age, people develop product which market itself. It's essentially a product where customers start using it, and with word of mouth, it creates the virality. And that's what I mean by product-driven marketing. And that's what I mean by growth, um, enab enabling essentially the product which is growth-enabled. And one thing which I've noticed is it's a low bandwidth and a low-cost affair because um, essentially you're experimenting the product, you're putting it out there, you're failing fast, and you're testing and learning, rather than a field sales approach where, hey, we've built this product, now just go and get 100 million subscribers. You know, so that's the approach which you have to embed right from the beginning. And why is it important? Well, I think the economy right now is the attention economy. Um, this was a survey done by the Mobile Intelligence Report, and what they say is that it's the attention which the products seek right now because there's so many products in the market. And if you don't grab the attention of the users or your target audience from the beginning, you're bound to fail. And in some cases, in, throughout the product lifecycle, some people don't have the attention grabbing uh, in the beginning. Some people lose it in the middle, and some, pe some basically die in the end. 
And there are many examples of like, how do you maintain this attention that it becomes a habit and people start using your products? Because 90% of the users essentially lose interest after 30 days. What does that mean? That means that your product has to have some sort of marketing built in when people start using it. And in terms of the definition, um, I was explaining what I do to my grandmother the other day. And, and basically, the way I mentioned was, uh, I'm an architect of a building, and I work with construction engineers to make sure uh, they build the building the way I want it to be. And I also decide which room to be built first. And for the sake of my job growth, that building is never complete. Um, and then I also explain what growth marketing does. It's basically your clothing um, shop in your neighborhood where on the window it says, hey, uh, it's 90% off. Come on in. And I think that's growth marketing job. So essentially, if you marry the two together, what essentially that means is you attract more engaged customers to your product. And it's almost like the cash flow um, in the finance world. It's almost like the customer flow to your product. And that's what I love to understand. How do we build sustainable products which grow organically rather than inorganically? Next, let's talk about my favorite topic, which is me. Um, my journey to product management and growth marketing and, and why I like to talk about it. Um, this is me somewhere in west coast of Scotland, and um, there's no human being within the 10-mile radius. So I'm in the wilderness. I fell in a bog as well, and I almost died. But I must have done something well that I'm standing here. Um, so in terms of my journey, I started as an engineer, uh, essentially flying with Virgin Atlantic. So I was flying up in the air as an engineer, designing their web pages, understood all, all about the, the code and the engineering aspects to build products which aligns with user behavior. So for example, if, if it's an airline e-ticket, they have to ensure that uh, they put the uh, boarding pass number at a certain place, and they put the gate number at a certain place. So if you look at it, you can in, actually see the, the details you want to see at the first glance. So those are some of the key aspects I learned during my first job. Then I moved to Lotus Formula One, uh, landed on a car from, from the airplane, um, which was also an engineering role, uh, but understanding more about data and building performance dashboards for Lotus Formula One. And then moved into oil and gas, uh, and also did my own business where I launched a fashion startup, uh, which was a shoe company, where I learned loads about product management and how you scale and, and get customers. And then um, I didn't stop wondering, so I joined Discovery Channel. And eventually, uh, now I'm at Hotels.com. Cool. Um, so what I've learned is that over the years, if you have a solid engineering background and you understand the chaotic nature of business, you can be a very good product manager. And you understand the key aspects of product, which is not just building the product, but understanding how would you market the product, what does the pricing strategy looks like, what does the sales approach looks like? So we heard about internal sales before this. This is all about external sales. And what I've noticed is that some companies looked at these four pillars in silo where a product person can build a landing page really well or even grab the customer attention, um, get them to log in onto your page. But they don't really understand how would I market this product so it's sustainable five years down the line? How would I make sure that if, even after initial growth, people use my product in a more positive way? And that's where marketing, pricing, and sales come in. So what I've noticed is that the lines between each of these four pillars are actually blurring, where you have to build the product uh, the right the first time to make sure that the customers come in, they get hooked into it in a positive way, they understand how it solves a problem. So you're marrying the problem which you want to solve and something which you're offering as a solution uh, to the customer. And I've got quite a few examples of it. So Slack, for example, 
um, started with a real user pain. And I think there are two key aspects where um, using a product becomes a habit. One is the emotional aspect, and the second one is the social aspect. Um, say, for example, if, if, I, if I don't go on Slack for a day, I, feel, I have a fear of missing out. I don't know what my work colleagues are up to. So it's, it's almost like a social pressure I have. And the second thing which you've noticed is, um, I'm sure you've noticed, is essentially the emotional connection which you have with Slack, like the community and the, and the groups you can create within Slack. So the example basically says that this is a product which has marketing embedded into it. You just need that network effect that few people join in. They then invite their, um, their community members. They invite their team members. And that's where the whole investment creates this platform, which automatically sells itself, rather than looking at marketing as a different channel. And there are other examples where you have marketing campaigns becoming a product, where the lines are blurring on the other end of the extreme. Um, Ice Bucket Challenge started um, with few videos on Facebook, and it basically was one million videos in four weeks, and it generated more than $94 million in those four weeks. Why? Because I think the idea was that marketing is so important to grab the attention in this attention economy, and they nailed it in a way that they created a reciprocity uh, where um, people shared their videos, and they also created what I like to say as social proof, because if you are seeing a video on Facebook, what your friends posted, there is an element of social proof. You know that this is a genuine person trying to generally raise something for charity. And I think that's, that's a core concept of marketing becoming a product itself. And the next example is enabling the virality. So um, as I mentioned, this is the attention-grabbing economy. I think one thing where you can actually focus on is collective intelligence. So how do you make sure that whatever you build, there's some sort of growth loop embedded within the product itself? Uh, I'll give some examples of what those growth loops look like. Um, but I think when Pinterest started, um, they tapped into the Facebook uh, market where they let you log in using your Facebook credentials, and immediately they saw value. Immediately they saw this growth loop, virality, and a network effect where lots of users started joining in. And then they, they understood that the algorithm of Facebook has changed, so they're losing numbers. And then they moved to Google and focused more on their content and search engine optimization. And I think those are the key aspects of they, they did an experimentation. They make sure that the marketing was embedded within the product. And I've mentioned that product should be a marketing channel. And I think some companies, what they do is they target um, they target users in a way that they understand what the value you get from the product, and that's why it becomes a marketing channel. I did this with my fashion startup as well. When I launched a shoe company, um, there was an element where I grew for the first couple of years, and then people stopped buying shoes. And then what I realized was I have these really loyal customers who love these shoes, and then I'm, I'm struggling to get new customers. So how do I grow? What I did was I tapped into the existing market and understood how I can design more shoes for the engaged customers who already like my shoes. And I think in that sense, my product become, became the marketing channel by launching more SKUs for the shoes, by launching different variants of the shoes, rather than just going for acquiring new customers. And then some companies try and sell to the users rather than buyers. So if you are a user for something like Expensify, I think this is a brilliant adword where they're targeting the users rather than buyers itself. Because those are the people who would do some word of mouth marketing for you. They will go out and they will make sure that it kind of uh, taps into the market you need. And I think Atlassian did it really well, uh, where they grew from zero to $100 million without a single salesperson. It just grew out from the customers, from the users who started using Atlassian products. So what is a growth loop? Um, I think 
in terms of embedding marketing in the product, we know it's very important. But I've read this on, in the book called Hook, where how do you hook the customers where there's, there's a growth loop and they come back in a positive way? You can actually use this in a negative way as well, which is bad. But how do you make sure that your product became, become a habit of users so they come back over and over again? You start with a notification where you have some sort of trigger uh, for, for users to come back. It could be a conscious or an unconscious notification. So for example, I'm sure while I'm talking, some people would have checked WhatsApp. And what's that? It's, it's a trigger. You guys, you guys are waiting for a message, or there's something you're missing, or there's something you want to check. And that's what an action is. It's an unconscious action where you're basically waiting for something you're anticipating for, and you don't know what you're going to get. And what I call this is as a lottery machine, where a lot of social media companies are doing it really well, where during the evening, I open my news feed and I scroll through, and I'm expecting something. So it's almost like a trigger to take that unconscious um, action to see what's out there, which I want to look at. And then there's an immediate reward where we, we either see a friend or somebody uh, messaged us, which we, which we were waiting for. And that, to me, is a reward. And essentially, as you invest more and more time in this platform, it, it creates the ecosystem and the network effect. So for example, if you're on LinkedIn and you have your CV on LinkedIn, HR folks would come in, recruiters would come in, and then you have this ecosystem where um, you've invested enough that this plat platform has a growth loop. And that's why it's very important to use this growth loop in a positive way, because ultimately it becomes a habit and users love to come back over and over onto your platform. So it's as simple as you do X and you get Y as a user, and that makes you happy. Essentially, it's the emotional and the social connection which some of the products make to make sure that their growth is sustainable and they're just not only relying on some of the inorganic channels, if you will. And then this is another example of like the journey where some products start with acquisitions. So their growth loop starts from, from the first point of entry. They acquire the customers. They make sure that there's, there's do X, get Y, make you happy loop. Um, Onboarding and engagement, I think the first two steps, social media companies do really well. Uh, in terms of engagement, I think gamification is doing it really well where um, you get some sort of badge or you get some sort of points where you, if you play really well, and that's, that's a reward for you because you get a trigger, you want to play a game, and you get an immediate reward if you're good at it. And Snapchat does it as well where um, they, they give you strikes and um, it, it's almost like a reward which you get over, over by actually using the product for a long time. And then there's loyalty where um, uh, some companies do it really well, where you get points and uh, you can then use those points for um, travel or for any other purposes. So I think there's a growth loop in loyalty embedded in some of the products as well. But what could go wrong? Um, we've talked about growth. We've talked about how you can embed uh, growth marketing within the product. But then still, some products launch really well. They have a product market fit. But after a few years, they just lose a lot of money. And this is an example I pulled from the internet where um, the customer bookings, there's a linear growth. But in terms of churn, there are two examples. As the company grows and becomes big, um, at a scale of like, this is five months, 54, uh, five years, 54 months, you can see the churn is actually increasing. And what's that doing is um, the total absolute number of, of your earnings reduces quite a lot. And what I'm trying to say is, even if you're acquiring more and more customers, even if you have a linear growth, that churn number makes you look bad. Your year-on-year -year growth goes bad. And that's, that's where the decline starts, and that's where your growth is not sustainable. 
So how do you make that growth sustainable? How do you make sure that you have a positive impact on the customers so they have this emotional connection with you and they come back? Well, you try and sell more to existing customers, and that's what I did with my shoe company, um, although that didn't pay my mortgage, so I stopped doing uh, the business, but that's, that was a massive lesson learned uh, for me where even if you get customers and if you want to uh, make it sustainable, you sell more exi to existing customers. And I think acquisition is important, but at some point when your company scales after a few years, you have to understand what are the innovative ways where you can sustainably grow your company. So 12 years ago, I used to think um, user acquisition is more important than profit. Um, and then over the years, I thought, well, retention is more important than acquisition. And I think recently, uh, with over 12 years, I think product-led growth is actually more important than inorganic acquisition and retention. Because you can advertise on Google and Facebook and all the channels, but if your brand doesn't have that value, if you don't have that organic growth, it's very difficult to have sustainable um, marketing. It's very difficult to have your product as a sustainable marketing channel. And, and I think to do that, you need to understand what is the channel via which you can have that organic growth, or how do you develop your product that people come back to you and understand your brand values. So we've talked about growth marketing and product, and let's talk about how you can be a unicorn product manager with bells and whistles. I'm sure you all want to be a unicorn product manager. At least I do. Um, so I think there have been debate in the last few years that PMs are generalists where they can look into various pillars of um, subjects rather than being a specialist. And I think the, the debate is that specialists can actually get the job done really quickly, while um, generalists have the strategic view to prioritize the ask. They understand what's going on at a broader level. And I think the answer is somewhere in between, where um, Brian Balfour uh, puts it really well. It's a T-shaped product manager, where you understand something really well. Either you have an engineering background, or you understand one of the marketing channels if you're a growth product manager. And that's where, after having some sort of deep knowledge, you can then have a broad horizon and become more strategic. So this example uh, gives you three layers uh, for a growth PM. Number one is base layer, where it's all about uh, engineering and the base knowledge you need to have before you can graduate over to the marketing layer. So once you have some sort of understanding of product design, UX, UI, or at least some sort of behavioral psychology where you know how the users use your product, what is your product market fit, that's when you can then uh, delve into marketing. And you can do more experimentation, A-B testing, have a little bit of knowledge of uh, querying the database, uh, and Excel modeling. That's all about the marketing layer. And then the last layer is, last layer is channels. How do you go about marketing um, via different channels, whether that's Google, Facebook? And what do you do? Do you do PPC, paid per click, search engine optimization? Or do you do content marketing, social marketing? And I think. Apart from all the channels, you've got to understand how you can organically grow your, product, grow your products as well. So the brand value is very important. So to me, like if you want to be a growth product manager, you have to master, if not all, at least some of these skill sets and also go deep in a couple of them, such as PPC or SEO. It could be any couple of them, but it would just help you build uh, that, that kind of confidence to run a product marketing team if you know that you basically delve into the details of one of the channels. 
And then finally, I want to leave it um, with this thought. Do not make products which um, make people addicted in a negative way. Um, you don't know how you're going to end. And I, I'm sure everybody's watched Black Mirror. Um, just want to make sure any products you develop has a positive impact on the user, both socially and emotionally. And I think Maslow Pyramid talked about this years and years back where humans have different layers of needs. It starts with more physiological. Um, then it's almost safety. Then you want to have some sort of belonging before you can actually reach to self-realization. But I, I don't think any of these social media companies uh, apply to that Maslow pyramid theory because I won't download Tinder first before I move to LinkedIn. And then I won't download LinkedIn before I move to Reddit and then start blogging. Uh, but that's what Maslow said. You've got to have the physiological needs filled up before you move to the next layer. So I think social, medias have, social media companies have tapped into some of the user needs, some of the needs which we, which we have as human beings, whether that's social, emotional, or any hook, lo hook loop which these guys have developed, but ultimately build the products in a way that it has a positive impact and, and also have a change which you want to see in the world rather than building addictive products. And I think travel, in my opinion, does that. Travel makes you more broad-minded. It connects you with people. And it has a positive impact on humanity. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.